Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode. Wilco's Jeff Tweedy has written hundreds of songs over his 30-year career. For some artists, that would be an impossible feat. But Tweedy's cracked his own songwriting code, and he's ready to share it. With Tweedy's work ethic, it's no surprise that eight months into the pandemic, he has a new solo album to share. This song, Guess Again, is from his new project, Love is the King. More surprising, though, is that he's found the time to document the creative process behind his prodigious output. In a book titled How to Write One Song, Tweedy lays out his own workmanlike approach to songwriting. The book reveals how he comes up with melodies, lyrics, and chords, and even more importantly, how he finds the inspiration and the time to write. Jeff Tweedy spoke to Malcolm Gladwell about his new book, explaining why he believes songwriting isn't a mystical endeavor, but something that can be honed with practice. And at the end of the episode, he plays us through the writing of one of his new songs, Step by Step. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Malcolm Gladwell with Jeff Tweedy. Can I start with this tantalizing little anecdote you tell in your book, that when your dad got mad, he would go into the basement and write poems? (laughs) And all I could think of is, this is the Jeff Tweedy origin story. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) 
I think so, yeah. Was your father musical? My father was a frustrated entertainer. He he got my mom pregnant in high school, and he they dropped out, and he got a job on the railroad. And I think his whole life, I think that he wished that he had had an opportunity to be on stage somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was not particularly musical. Uh, but he was entertaining, that's for sure. Uh, but he he aspired to be musical. He always he liked to sing. He he drank a lot, and he got up at every wedding and and embarrassed us terribly, humiliated us in lots of cases. Yeah. <laughs> but but, um, but were his poems were they any good? Yeah, I, no. My dad was brilliant. Um, you know, they weren't. I don't think that they were good in like a Robert Frost way or or, but they might have been good in a jimmy stewart kind of (laughs) way or ogden nash maybe at the high end of his uh aspirations but yeah you know um he wouldn't have had any of those references other than jimmy stewart so but he did you know he made unrequited forays into indulging his musical side many times like he bought a an organ from the mall that the the salesman claimed would teach him how to play and he would just sit there and watch the lights flash as it would play itself and drink a beer (laughs) it was uh uh, i have a lot of memories of that (laughs) but the the poem he wrote the poems when you said when he was angry uh that was my memory of them, yeah. Yeah. And um, I sadly, you know, you know, a couple of summers ago when he passed away, we, you know, we emptied out the house, the house that I, the only house I'd ever lived in when, you know, like my parents bought one and my mom was pregnant with me. And I found a lot of his homework from when he taught himself or basically uh, learned computing early on uh, math homework and stuff like that, but I didn't find any of the notebooks that had any of the poems. So mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, I suspect that he just got it off his chest and then threw them away. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just love these kinds of generational parallels. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you know, if if we if you were on the couch, I would say you're like Tweety 2.0. You're like the do-over, mm-hmm. the frustrated musician. Who's who's writing these essentially lyrics of some mm-hmm. sort, and then you're you you you've come along and you've turned it into an art. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, there's there are tons of parallels that I I mean, we I mean, it's disturbing as you get older how much you start to look like your parents and look like exactly like my dad, and you know I think he suffered from a lot of the same mood disorders that I've dealt with in my life, but he clumsily, but somehow, you know, as far as employment goes and far as far as like not having worsening consequences, which would be typical of alcoholism, he managed to medicate himself clumsily for his entire life, you know, mm. for anxiety. I'm sure he had anxiety and depression and, and, and yet, and he, he, did instinctively seem to have turned to some of the same things that have provided some solace for me that weren't unhealthy, you know, like um, yeah. getting things off his chest. And, you know, I, I was indulged a lot, uh, perhaps because I was a do-over. 
<laughs> when did you write your first song? Do you remember? The first song I remember writing, and I'm pretty sure that there were songs before this, but the first song I remember writing was a song called Your Little World. And mm -hmm. it was about a girl and her not having enough room in her world for me. <laughs> and uh, how, old, how old are you when you're writing? Uh, maybe 13, 14. You don't remember it, do you? Your little world's much too small. Oh, I ain't got no room at all. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, I remember it. I could play it. Actually, one of the weird things is, is that uh, uh, this local musician who went by the name Joe Camel, uh, a band Joe Camel and the Caucasians, they actually recorded that song and and made a single out of it. Oh, really? It is. It exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was because I was this, I was this kid that hung out with all like at the record stores and hung out at the you know with around other musicians uh, when I could get near them. And I would always, I write songs. And this guy in this band, Joe Camel, said, hey, let me hear one of your songs. And I went over to his house and I played him this song. He said, oh, that's great. I'm going to record it. We're going to like go to record this song. <laughs> and he did. That's fantastic. When do you th think you wrote your first good song? Well, I, I honestly don't think that that one was terrible. I think it's, you know, it's it's not great but it was it was good enough for somebody else to mm. want you know see some potential in it um the first song i liked that i wrote was probably screen door on the first um uncle tupelo record mm -hmm. you know that's the first one where i felt like i had said something that felt true to me and that i didn't necessarily have anybody else's song to convey that idea. I always look at it like I'm trying to make songs and so new song for me to sing that someone hasn't already written. So that one was the first one that felt like that. How old are you when you write that song? 16, maybe. Oh, I see. 16, 17. Yeah. So pretty, it's funny, I just, I've, I have heard musicians of various kinds answer that question over the years. And there's a, a whole set of them who like, you know, 10 years pass between the first song they write and the first one they like. Yeah. <laughs> but but you, you, you have a much less um, uh, ambivalent relationship to your early songwriting. One of the things I feel like I've had some shame about in my life is how shamelessly I love stuff that I make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think over time I've really made peace with it because I think that that's like kind of beautiful and it's kind of one of the things that's allowed me to grow. I don't, I don't tend to keep liking things that I've made. I tend to get pretty dissatisfied with them over time. But when I, initially, uh, even when I figure out how to play something on the guitar that someone else has done, I feel like I invented it. I have this like really, you know, sort of delusional uh, relationship with the joy that I take from making something. And I think that's, that, that really comes naturally. So a lot of times my favorite song is always the one I'm working on mm -hmm. almost invariably. I was like, wow, this is, a, this is really great. And, <laughs> and it dissipates over time, but, I mean, but I've, I've always felt like that. Does that make you a bad judge of your own songwriting? 
I think it does. And that's, that's part of the reason that I've had to learn a lot of different ways to get out of the uh, get my ego out of the way, like mm-hmm. I'll, allow things to gestate for a lot longer, or put them away and forget them, forget about them, so that I can come back to them with a little bit more objectivity. But in general, I think it's just kind of the spirit of it is what comes across a lot of times, and mm-hmm. and that 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 in in a lot of cases is enough because you know not every song has to be the greatest song that's ever been written, but mm-hmm. It sure helps if you feel like it is at the moment, <laughs> yeah, in the moment, you know. Yeah. You describe in this this lovely book you've just done, How to Write One Song, yeah. <laughs> you describe, describe a series of exercises, mm-hmm. songwriting exercises, and also describe a kind of what a songwriting day should look like. <laughs> and I was curious before we go into that, how long did you, I mean, if that's the pattern of songwriting you practice now, how long have you been doing it that way? Did you always have this kind of very structured way about writing music? No, I think that I've, as I've gotten older, I think one of the things I've really had to learn how to do is provide myself structure because I I work in a profession that doesn't have a lot of structure outside of touring, which is extremely structured and routine, you Mm -hmm. know. But being home has always been a little bit uh, dangerous for me in terms of my mental health, though the routine has been something I've had to learn and and has helped me quite a bit. That being said, I don't remember a time where I haven't felt like a kind of a nagging sense all day uh, that I should be making something Mm -hmm. or that I should be learning something or I should be reading something or I should be listening to something. And that tends to provide a lot of momentum to my days. This ugly feeling that I'm avoiding almost all the time is that I don't want to get to the end of the day and feel like I didn't learn anything or didn't didn't make something or just didn't participate in my life in the ways that I've found to be the most enjoyable and, and helpful to me. Mm-hmm. You described this ideal songwriting day in the book. <laughs> when was the last ideal songwriting day you had and what did it look like? It's been a while. I think the the ideal day, the last one I might have had would have been during the process of making our the album I just released, Love is the King, where, you know, around eight o'clock at night or something, I would have started working on a song that I was thinking about recording the next day. I would have, you know, worked on it and played around with it, maybe made a little demo of it on my phone until like maybe midnight, gone to sleep, woke up, probably would have finished the lyrics early in the morning because uh, they tend to kind of untangle themselves in my sleep uh, a lot of times. And I like, to, I like to write even before I get out of bed, you know, where I'm, I feel like I'm still sort of, uh, you know, the the judgment side of me is still sleeping or something, you know. Then I would have gotten up and, and come to the studio, maybe worked on that song for a little while in the studio, had lunch, maybe taken a nap, would have gotten up from the nap, finished the song, maybe invited uh, my younger son over to sing a harmony vocal on it, <laughs> common 
practice in that moment when I'm asking someone else like Sammy to sing on something would be to really focus on the lyrics and make sure they're where I want them to be. So I would have done some revisions on that, maybe until around five or six and have a rough mix to take home and have some dinner and listen to records generally until I get excited about trying to make something to beat something I just heard. <laughs> some sort mm-hmm. of like trying to activate some competitive side of my my brain and then start the whole process over uh, with uh, maybe seeing if I could, you know, come up with another song for the next day. So in your ideal world, is it a song from start to, to, to finish in that one day or is it is it that you have little bits and pieces already there that you're going back and finding and playing with? I can do a song start to finish in one day, but but typically there are uh, little uh, pieces of raw material that have been accumulated. Yeah, I think one of the things I might do at 8 o'clock, say the beginning of the day I just described, would be to go through my phone and find a musical idea that I'm excited by that I don't know, it just catches me enough unaware to start dreaming about it and start, mm-hmm. like, fantasizing about where it could go or what it could sound like. Do you have your phone with you right now? Can you play us a musical idea off the phone? Sure. Let's see. Well, this one sounds a little bit, maybe a little bit more finished than normal. tunnel at the end of the light <laughs> uh-huh. so that is that has that little bit been turned into a song yet or is it just no. out there waiting it's waiting it's waiting i mean there's and then there's stuff that's maybe i don't even know what this is just some chords i thought were pretty uh, but yeah, there's there there are dozens or not dozens. There's probably literally hundreds of those things in my phone. When they stack up a little bit, I usually transfer some to the computer here at the loft, so they're at least in a couple places. So. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by this process. How long might some a little bit linger on your phone or in your archive before you use it? Is there stuff? And if I if we went into the, you said sometimes you download them on at the loft. How far back would we have stuff there from 10 years ago you've never used? Yeah, I mean, probably. There are, uh, I used to do it on cassettes, Mm -hmm. and basically I used to just leave a cassette in a dictaphone, old style, like what you would have, steno would have used, Mm -hmm. or someone in a, you know, secretary pool. (laughs) And I would just leave it on the coffee table and and until it filled up and then I'd put another cassette in and there's there are dozens of those cassettes and like um on the Suki Ray album that I made under the name Tweety there's a song on there that I finished after 14 years I think what song was it it's called um I'll sing it uh-huh. was there a little snippet of it that was the original snippet it's actually in the track. I actually just played oh, really? over the cassette uh, version. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's and then and then I think that ended up on the the Summer Teeth box set that we just put out because it was written around the same time as Summer Teeth. Yeah. When you go back and find a little snippet like that, do you remember when you created the snippet or is that gone? It depends. A lot of times I don't remember at all. I have no recollection at all of of uh, a lot of times I don't even remember the tuning and I have to like sit and figure out like because I use a lot of different tunings and um, I really hate it when I don't bother to tune the guitar to a standard pitch because then it makes it even harder to figure out what tuning I'm in and stuff like that. So a lot of times it's 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 completely gone wherever wherever it happened, which is kind of I love it when that happens, even though it can be frustrating trying to to relearn it. But then there are times where I absolutely have a distinct memory of where I was and and what was happening. And a lot of times that's because there are other ambient elements that made it made mm-hmm. their way onto the recording. Like say backstage and somebody in Wilco walks through and says something and I can I can like viscerally feel that that room and I'll know even what city it was in a lot of cases sometimes when I'm doing it in hotel rooms in Europe and you have the windows open uh, whenever we're fortunate enough to find a hotel that has windows that open uh, you hear like people eating on the at the cafes or something like that that's those are always really kind of special recordings that a lot of times mean a lot to me even without them being finished yeah we did a um, an interview with Nora Jones uh, a while back now, and she was talking about how she did her song "Wintertime" with you, mm-hmm. and that and she was talking about this this very process that she had some scraps, of little bits and pieces, and you had bits and pieces, and mm-hmm. you kind of put it together to create a really beautiful song. Can you can you because walk us through that that little case study of this this time with a twist with another person involved mm-hmm. but doing seems like both of you were doing doing the work of creativity in the same way is that true yeah i think that well first of all nora jones doesn't need me to help her write a song for sure but but we admire each other so there's a there's already a kind of a base level of camaraderie or something mm-hmm. you know but i haven't found many people that i've worked with to have just wildly different approaches to it. Everybody seems to have sort of the core process is sort of similar. You basically start with something that is nothing, you know, that feels, but feels like it could be something. And then you basically surrender this idea that you can't you can't do that you can't make something out of nothing and <laughs> and you you do it and it's really the most important part is just letting go of the idea that it can't happen i think mm-hmm. and with someone else it requires a lot of waiting until you both have you know, both people have to feel comfortable and supported enough and trusting enough to kind of throw out ideas until, you know, a light bulb goes off in two heads at once. It's a little bit more foolproof in a way because you have that consensus of universality for two people as opposed to like just trying to imagine that everybody will like something you like. We'll be right back with more from Jeff Tweedy after the break. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card the only credit card designed for iPhone. 
It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards that's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. We're back with more of Malcolm's conversation with Jeff Tweedy. You've done an unusual amount of collaboration with other artists. You write for Mavis Staples. Uh, you did those beautiful Mermaid Avenue 
um, albums with Billy Bragg that I um, are among my favorites. When you're writing with another person in mind, does it change the way you write a song? Yeah, I I think it does. I honestly think that that is the thing that I am most comfortable doing. I think it's the the thing I truly aspire to do more than almost any other thing that I get to do. I always pictured myself being a person that would write songs for other people to sing. In Uncle Tupelo, I wanted my songs to be sung by Jay because he had this magnificent, like, rich, authoritative voice. And and I, I had this squeaky, you know, voice that I didn't feel like was quite my own even at the time. I was struggling to find it. As much as I felt great when I sang, I just loved the idea of, of writing the song more than the idea of singing it. And I still think that that's where my most natural abilities lie is in helping somebody with another with their song, like working with Nora or finding something for someone to sing like Mavis. I don't look at it as like I'm putting words in her mouth. I feel like I'm just kind of helping find something that she feels comfortable singing that makes sense for her to sing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the Woody Guthrie lyrics. That was even more along the lines of what I feel I have the strongest sense about as being something that comes naturally to me because those lyrics were sacrosanct. You know, they're they're like, you know, you're not going to you're not going to mess with them. They're there. You don't even need to worry about whether or not they're good enough. They're important. For people that don't know, there were all these lyrics that Woody Guthrie left behind that the music was never documented or he never really made any music for. There's all these archival lyrics and writing that we took and made songs out of. And with those, I would just sit and read them over and over and over again until the meter would emerge and then next there would be a melody that would emerge. And in a lot of cases with Woody Guthrie lyrics, you read it and all of a sudden a a Carter family song emerges because that's what he was actually writing his lyrics to was um, someone else's song. Mm -hmm. I I did the same thing with a bunch of lyrics for Bob Dylan that never came out because uh, I I wasn't able to be a part of that process for that record that they did a couple years ago. Uh, where they had a bunch of lyrics that Dylan had written. It's like Elvis Costello was a part of it and some of the Mumfords and Mumford and stuff. But anyway, T Bone had asked me if I could do it and I I got all these lyrics and then my wife uh started treatment for cancer so I couldn't go to LA for the amount of time that they wanted me to. But but I, I did the same thing with those lyrics. I wrote them I wrote and recorded a whole record in a weekend. <laughs> like <laughs> is do you find it sort of freeing? To not have to do it in your own, with the, with your own voice in mind? Yeah, I think that I just struggle with allowing myself to comment on certain things that I don't feel like I have the authoritative weight to weigh in on for, for in terms of like Mavis or something like that, or the things that I feel like Mavis has a voice of of righteousness of some you know of some broader scope in in a historical importance and 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 place you know uh there's just a weight to it that um i feel very privileged to have been able to write for mm-hmm. but um a lot of those things are 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 not going to make as much sense coming out of my mouth 
it just doesn't feel right for what for a lot of you know social reasons. I think. Mm-hmm. What's the right word to describe your attitude towards your own voice? Are you self conscious about it? No, I. You made that comment about Tupelo and how you preferred if. No, I I feel like I've gotten way better as a singer, and I've worked really hard to get better over a lot of time. And I actually I I enjoy my voice, uh, my singing voice quite a bit. I actually do like listening to myself sing now. When I find things that I want to sing, in a lot of cases, I feel like I'm the only person that could sing it the way I want to hear it. Mm-hmm. But. That doesn't mean that I'm oblivious to the fact that my voice isn't technically great in the, you know, by the normal criteria of American Idol or The Voice or, you know, whatever, whatever, you know. But all my favorite singers are like that. Almost all my favorite singers have uh, non-traditional voices that have become communicative you know it's like it's mm-hmm. like where they they trade virtuosity or technique or whatever for sincerity or, or or sentiment and conviction and i feel like i found that in my voice over time and i i'm very very proud of the idea that i i still work at getting better and and try and sing in tune you know but i'm more i'm much more concerned with making the words feel the way i want them to feel mm-hmm. My speaking voice, on the other hand, is 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 awful. I cannot, I will never listen to the book that I just read or this interview. <laughs> sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I might listen to you do another interview with someone else. But not, um, but wait, so on this point, in, in the book you talk about stealing, mm-hmm. which you're being, you're being a little bit mischievous because you don't really mean stealing, mm-hmm. but you're talking about being open to Influence, essentially. Mm-hmm. So give me an example of another artist whose work you find lots of stuff to borrow from and be inspired by. And I'm just curious, does it come from everywhere or are there predictable places where you go to find ideas? Well, the thing I'm describing in the book is is just based on this belief that you can't really copyright a, a, a a group of chords. What I'm describing in the book is basically me saying, well, I'm going to look for a song that I think has a bunch of cool chords in it, and I'm going to learn how to play it, and then I'm going to take it and make it into something that no one would hear that song in it anymore. Mm -hmm. But it's basically like just when you're a little bit stuck, just realizing that the world is full of these you know, sort of naturally occurring shapes that you can appropriate. You know, I don't look at them as being particularly ownable <laughs> by by anybody. And especially if I don't, you know, sing the same type of song or put the same type of melody over it or even have the same rhythm or, you know, like there are many, mm. many ways to describe it. But it's such a it's such a liberating thing to do to just go, oh, I'll just take these chords and 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 start there because I haven't been able to come up with anything all day. That being said, there are just tons and tons of artists, new and old, every day of my life that I encounter. And to me, you have to work to not encounter art that inspires you. <laughs> I think, and, and I think that that does overwhelm people. I think sometimes some people do get to a certain point 
where they want to hide from influence or hide from the feeling that they're being challenged uh, by other artists. But I look at it like most of the time, I get that way too. I can, I can feel overwhelmed sometimes, but more often than not, I feel really invigorated by the fact that if I go looking, it won't take me long at all mm-hmm. to find something that shows me where the bar is that I should be aiming for. What's an example of a song you listened to recently that triggered all kinds of reactions and inspirations in you? You know, Kate, uh, Kate LeBond writes a lot of music that makes me feel that way. She's just the first person that popped into my mind. She, she's an artist that has this uh, undeniable Kate LeBondness about what she does. You know, like we're, mm-hmm. and that's 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 hard to find. You know, I think there's she has a very specific angle that she comes at what she does and and nobody else knows that precise angle i think Uh, the song um meet the man i wanted to meet the man i think that's the name of it i think it's the last song on her most recent record it has all of these twists and turns that are unpredictable and i don't know when you listen to that song can you turn off the part of your brain that wants to to kind of learn from it use it employ it in some way and just enjoy it or do you is it is that part of the brain always on well that is how i enjoy it <laughs> i think that i think that is part of how i enjoy it i yeah i think i enjoy it first and foremost the way i have enjoyed music since i was a little kid before i played any music or wrote any music i i'm just attracted to sound and and excited by records and and i don't think that that's any different but I don't feel burdened by the knowledge that I have now. And I think it's, it just adds this insight like, oh, wow, I, I, I can kind of tell what reverb is going on there. But that being said, the things that I tend to enjoy the most are the things that I have zero idea how they came to be. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I listen to, you know, like have more repeated listenings tend to be like, some hip hop records and things that are outside of my skill set and and you know and then there then there are times where I crave comfort food where I just want to hear a simple country song played on an acoustic guitar and I have a very very firm grasp on how that comes to be but it doesn't diminish its importance in my life you know is there an artist a contemporary of yours whose career you would have loved to have no, I, I honestly, I've thought about that a lot. I have moments where I have uh, professional jealousy. I think it'd be impossible not to have these moments, especially if you're somewhat competitive like I am. I think it's like, why is everybody writing about this guy now? I was like, you know, like, the <laughs> like I'm not ashamed to admit I have like, you know, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world to admit you have petty feelings, yeah. you know, yeah. but... But um, but it, honestly, I don't think so, because when I take a step back, the prevailing emotion is gratitude. I mean, it wouldn't this is nothing like I would have been ever, ever been able to imagine for myself, mm-hmm. you know, 30 years in from my first time probably playing on a stage or, you know, getting in front of people. We'll be right back with more from Jeff Tweedy. Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know the fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed The Boar's Nest, Sue's Place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, 
wounded souls, wayward upstarts, would spur each other on to tap into something bigger, realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Bacharach as Shel Silverstein and TJ Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. We're back with the rest of Malcolm's conversation with Jeff Tweedy. You know, it would be really fun if we put together a bunch of the stuff we've been talking about in a song. Like, is there a song that you could break down, play and break down for us? Will you talk about all the little pieces that brought it together, how the song was created, the little bits of influence, if you remember them. Is there one that's that fresh in your memory that you could do that? <laughs> a little mini masterclass? Uh, let me think. I have a guitar here. so uh, That's the G chord I always play when I pick up a guitar. It's an in, in, inadvertent. So the invariant G. <laughs> The, the Tweety G. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty. It's, like, it's, it's my my grounding. Well, there's a song on the new record called Opaline, where um, I was writing it this summer or this spring when. There was so much going on in the world and our relationships with our police departments were being investigated and talked about a lot. So I'm not a person that's ever had that feeling. I've never really been a a fan of police because I've always felt like police had a lot more to do with um, their mentality, had a lot more to do with the people that made fun of me in school and, and were more jockey and it's just a general atmosphere around police that I've not enjoyed but I've not had this experience that a lot of minorities have had with police in this country and I'm aware of that but I I was trying to put myself into that that headspace of um living with that fear so those were the, those were the lyrics that I was playing around with is like I hear the police outside my window can hear them talking on the radios and uh I hear the police outside my window I can hear them talking on the radios I keep my head underneath my pillow Pray that they're gonna leave me alone. Um, so that's like just one little chunk of the song. That was a melody that I had without any words. Did you write that chunk first? Yeah, I did. And then I, I had a piece that was like, oh. You know, I didn't really have any lyrics, so I was, I, um, we had a golden orb weave spider, weaver spider in our garden this spring that, um, I named Opaline, 
for some reason, just because it just seemed like a cool name. I had an Aunt Opal. And so I just start singing to her. <laughs> oh, Opaline, make believe that you still love me. Oh, It's hard to see reality when you got no love at all. So that's just writing a country song. That's <laughs> just trying to figure out a way to get to the line, reality's hard to see when you got no love at all. Because one of the things that has been on my mind a lot these last few years or, you know, for a while now is how do you get to the point where reality doesn't matter? And it obviously is very negotiable for a lot of people in our information climate <laughs> that that we can shop for a reality that we trust and believe. And there isn't a shared consensus a lot of times, which is really maddening and strange to witness we don't even have the same agreed upon fictions anymore, you know, like, so it's, it's uh, really troubling. And I, my theory is that must be a lot easier to do when people have been isolated from a lot of their feelings of being cared for or having, you know, affection and, and warmth in their life. Mm-hmm. So, so you have in the song, you have that opening image yeah. of the kid in bed, mm-hmm. head under the pillow, and hearing the cops outside, and worrying. And then you have Opaline. Yeah. And then you also have this other, the other interesting element is, it's very plainly a country song, but we're not in country territory, <laughs> are we? Uh, well, I mean, country territory is pretty pretty vast, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, 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 to me, where country music fails is when it tries to adhere to the tropes of country music mm-hmm. and becomes like Civil War reenactment or something. It's, you know, it's not, it's not about what's happening. And this is, this is a weird song for me to pick, but I'm going to stick with it now because we're, we're in it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, this, is like a, this is a little bit of a pastiche to where I got all of these elements to make sense to me and feel good to me. There's a story that runs through it that feels apprehendable to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I had that, and that's probably what I put in my phone first. Yeah. Aside from the initial chord progression that I might have hummed over. That was like the first d- document of this song. And then um, I was out driving my car on a toll road right after that. And there was a hearse on a toll road outside Chicago. And this literally literally happened. And it's, I went through a toll next to a, to a hearse. And as I went through the toll, I looked back and the hearse was stuck at the toll like it didn't have any money or, or whatever, but as I kept driving, I kept looking in the rearview mirror and it was it just kept not being mm-hmm. let through the toll. And I just felt like I'd been hit over the head with one of the the most striking metaphors I'd ever encountered in the real world. <laughs> you know, like what is you know, what is purgatory? I don't know. Like it's just like just, yeah. just one of the craziest things. 
And so um, I actually wrote this in the car into my phone. I've just voice memoed into my phone. Uh, There's nothing worse than a hearse driving slow. Out on the tollway, stopping at the tolls. No change, no easy pass. What a way to go. There's nothing worse than a hearse driving slow. Oh, oh, believe. You know, then you get back into the chorus. Do why? Wait, dumb question, but you had the hearse experience and you have these two little bits that you've already done. Why do you think the hearse experience belongs to this song and not any number of other things? that you have stashed away for future reference. How do you know it belongs here? Uh, it's just what was in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I don't really think of things as accidents that I need to really investigate. And it just, it sang well to these this melody before I could even make a decision about where it should go. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like that song was already in my mind. I had been working on it, yeah. so... Um, those are the those are the patterns that you walk around with when you have a song in your head, and that's one of the reasons I enjoy having a song in my head because then everything that happens to me is ah, da, 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 you know like everything yeah. fits in that melody it makes some it makes some order out of the world I suppose you know so those lyrics that you just sang for me is that exactly as you composed them in the car or would you fiddle with them later? No, that's exactly as I composed them in the car. <laughs> and did you compose them in the car like like off the cuff or did you were you playing with it in your mind before you recorded it? I played with it in my mind a little bit yeah. before I decided that I should document it before I get home. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And again, I'm sorry that I'm now I'm I'm totally I can't get over this. Like, this is so much fun. Do you pull over or do you keep driving and and you're singing into your phone? Well, I mean, not to get too technical, but I I pressed a button on my phone that allowed me to record it without having to take my eyes off the road. <laughs> no, I didn't mean, I wasn't suggesting you were an unsafe driver, but I was suggesting like, does it, I was imagining there was a scenario where you're so caught up in this that you're like, I got to focus. And you would like pull into the, you know, the IHOP parking lot. Mm-hmm. And, but no, no, you're just, you're just driving merrily down the road, singing this into your phone. Yeah. I love also that you like 99% of humanity sees the hearse, either doesn't see the hearse or sees the hearse and doesn't immediately understand the, <laughs> the, per, the perfection of that metaphor. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like you're attuned. You you are attuned to these things. Thank you. I think we all should be. I mean, we're like we're walking around and there's no there's no failed experiment if you're paying attention to the world. I think we get tired. I think we get overwhelmed. Like I was saying before with like inspiration or influence and things like that can, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not always receptive and we're not always, we don't always have the energy or uh, we, a lot of us have a lot of concerns all the time about a lot of other things that would require more mental energy than we have. And that tends to crowd out a lot of, you know, paying attention to Mm -hmm. 
the strangeness of the world or the, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything super unique in that regard. I just think that I am aware that my brain wants to make sense of stuff and I give it an opportunity to make sense of stuff, you know, or, or actively participate in the fact that it does that. I think all of our brains do that. All of our brains would much prefer to find some reason for something to be the way it is than for to try and accept and understand ambiguity and randomness and and things like that. So we're we're designed to do that. And then sometimes it hits you over the head because it is just too perfect and beautiful, like a hearse being stuck at a toll booth, Plaza. <laughs> Wait, you're not done. We're not done. Keep going. Well, the, the thing, you know, so there's another there's a verse and verse, or verse and chorus, verse and a chorus. And then um, by that time, I think I had already recorded it and I had recorded the song without any lyrics I didn't sing it I just was just and then I envisioned this like um, long outro guitar solo so I, I needed another verse and um, I needed something that was going to set up a long guitar solo into a last chorus and that was actually the hardest part because I wanted something that sort of tied those two pieces together a little bit at least ambiently somehow so i came up i came up with a bunch of things that i actually changed over time and i can't remember all the different changes because i only know i only remember what i ended up on but but it was um uh um i'd like to find out why she had to go My heart wants what a heart can't control So I hang in the air as the light gets cold And I hide in her shadows and welcome her home And then it goes into the solo there Mm -hmm. But to me, it was kind of like I had become the guy that was hiding from the cops that got killed, that got murdered by cops, that ended up on the highway in a hearse, not having the change, even the money to go through a toll, mm -hmm. you know, comically dark, even in, in uh, my demise, still completely <laughs> just devoid of any luck whatsoever. <laughs> you know, which is a country trope in a way, you know, just like the, the beautiful loser. Mm -hmm. um, but still, but still singing. This is a, th a theme on the record, actually, is still singing from beyond the grave to this woman who basically took, a, took everything away in his opinion or his feeling. But knowing, basically saying, I'm, I'm still going to be in that air that you breathe. I'm still going to be, I can't have what I want, but I can still imagine that you are going to think about me from time to time. And it's, an, it's a sad, pathetic notion that a lot of 
a lot of weak men have and I've had in my life and, and is that um, you'll miss me when I'm gone. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And, and uh, uh, I think it's more often than not wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Jeff, you have to finish the song for us. Uh, well, there's just one more chorus. That's fine. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, 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 believe, make believe that you still love me. Oh, oh, believe, it's hard to see reality when you got no love at all. I love that. Hold on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. I think that's a, a lovely way to, to wrap things up. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks to Jeff Tweedy for breaking down his songwriting for us. You can hear all of our favorite Jeff Tweedy songs on a playlist at brokenrecordpodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast. There you can find extended cuts of our new and old episodes. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Martin Gonzalez, Eric Sandler, and is executive produced by Mia LaBelle. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. And if you like Broken Record, please remember to share, rate, and review our show on your podcast app. Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Peace. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry and me. I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.